the last few months or so, we've been thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit among us, looking at character, fruit, holiness and obedience, looking at the promises of God in our faith and in our witnessing. And after Easter, we're going to be starting a series about the gifts of the Spirit. But this week, we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, particularly the Gabbard Church. In other words, what we are this morning. Yeah, God is with us individually, we know that, wherever we are in the week and whatever we're doing. He's with us when it's mundane. He's with us when it's exciting. He's with us in the difficult times, happy times. Whatever's going on, God is with us out there, if you like, the scattered church. But when we gather as a church, then there's power in being here together as one. Church, after all, was God's idea. And he works in and through his church when we're together. As well as encouraging each other, then the Holy Spirit is here, as we sung just a few moments ago. We recognise the Spirit with us. He's here to minister to us. He's here to help us to minister to God. And he can speak through his word. He can lift our worship. And he can help us to build our relationships through our fellowship. So although this morning I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of a gathered church, as I say, I I feel I need to touch just a little bit on our personal walk with God and the Holy Spirit in that. Because if we don't have a personal assurance that he's in us, then that's going to reflect on how we are when we gather together. We're all on a journey. Wherever we are on that journey, we're all on a journey. The Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to all believers, not some, but all. And just before I started to prepare for this morning, I had my own quiet time or devotional or whatever you refer to it as. I spent a little bit of time. And my reading was on or from uh, Ephesians 1. And it says there, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Marked in him with a seal. The Holy Spirit, God's seal on the contract, the signature at the bottom of the page. We belong to him and he will do what he's promised. We might not always feel the Holy Spirit in us, but we can be assured that he is because God said he would be. We are God's children. He will work in us to transform us. Just look back on your life and see what God's done. Look forward and ask him to do what he wants to do. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to take over what we don't give him, but he will give us the power to overcome and live transformed lives. Because it's not what we do. It's not about us. It's about what God has done and what he will do. Because it's all about him. I was sent to church when I was younger. Mum and Dad never came. I was pushed off. As were the rest of us. Actually, we were sent to Sunday school, which then was on a Sunday afternoon. A few older people here that remember that as well. I hear the murmurs. (laughs) Church was in the morning, Sunday school was in the afternoon. At some point 
during my time there. Sunday school was moved to the morning as part of a gathered church. I just wonder how many church meetings that took to make such a radical step. <laughs> but church didn't mean much to me. You know, we generally would sit in the pews as kids with our heads down, passing things along the rows. If you were lucky, someone had a packet of sweets, spangles or something like that, remember? Yeah. But um, yeah, they would just get passed, and every now and then you get a clip round the ear. You can't do that these days, so I'm not encouraging it, but you get a clip round the ear for being annoying. But when I was about 14, that was it, I left. Uh, it was only when I was invited to a friend's baptism in another church when I was about 17 that things started to make a bit more sense. Suddenly, God started talking to me, although at the time, I thought my friend, the prep, the pastor, told him things about me. Because whatever he said suddenly seemed to be directly aimed at me. It made sense. Of course, I realised later that it was the Holy Spirit talking through the word. It took time to make a commitment, but ultimately I was baptised. And soon afterwards, I persuaded my eldest brother to come along to church. The first day he came, he got pretty angry with me because he thought I'd prepped the minister. <laughs> Whatever the minister said applied to him. The Holy Spirit speaks through the living word in the gathered community, in the church. The Holy Spirit moves in the congregation in our hearts. And I'm sure there are many here this morning that would testify to how God moves amongst us and how, having moved amongst us on a Sunday, we can face the week renewed, strengthened, reminded that we're not going in our own strength, but we have the God of the universe in us and with us by his Holy Spirit. There is power in meeting together as gathered church that prepares us to be scattered church in the week. I don't have a specific scripture this morning I could be dotting around this a little bit, but I'll bring them all up on the screen. A few verses from Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Spirit is at work in the gathered church. Through the word, it says there in verse 16. And in the same verse, in our worship. And then in verse 15, also in our relationships. It says we should be of one body. God not only breathed life into us at birth, but wants to continue to breathe life into us. And he's actively working in the life of the church here. When we're together, we can listen together, we can respond together, we can grow together, and we can encourage one another. Perhaps you've been out on a walk or something like that in a group, and someone suddenly stops and says, Quiet! Did you hear that? Hear what? Now you stand and listen. In the distance, you hear the first nightingale of spring or, or something. You would have missed it if you hadn't been together with the others. And so with God. Yeah, he speaks to us individually, but he also speaks as we're gathered. To those who say they don't need church to be a Christian, I just say you're missing out. And so we're going to look briefly 
at the living word, going to look at our worship and our fellowship and our relationships, our unity, our fellowship as a church. (coughs) Well, do preachers have special insights? Sometimes. But often the Spirit will take the prepared word and speak through it. Of course, when we prepare, prepare, we pray that God will give us the message and we'll make it relevant, using it in whatever way he wants. And to be honest, it's often when we feel least prepared that God speaks. Not that that gives an excuse for not preparing, but it often is the case. It says in Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to, the divi- even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Most homes have a, a Bible in the UK. Many have more than one. I bet we've got a lot more than one on our bookshelves. The Gideons give out Bibles to school children in prisons and they place them in hotels. We have easy access. And of course there are millions of people that have got Bibles and app on their phone as well these days. To be honest, as books go, it's not always an easy read. Reading the Old Testament can be difficult. And I confess that I don't understand every word. Over the years, I've come to understand more. I hope I'll continue to understand more. But as I get to know God, the author, then you get to understand more as well. After all, it's a story of God and his interaction with his people. And so if you get to know the main character of the book, surely it's going to be easier. But ultimately, it's the spirit who's going to bring insight and understanding. Sometimes there are verses I read one day, they mean very little, but then on another day, they're suddenly so relevant. They're personal. That's the living word of God. A sermon might pass me by, but then another time, a similar sermon seems as though it was written just for me. That's the Spirit of God moving through the Word of God. The written or the spoken Word is just external information until the Spirit applies it. Then it comes to life. He takes what's written or said, he makes it alive in our hearts, makes it relevant. In Jeremiah 31 it says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And in John 16, it's about when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Words are simply words unless they're brought to life by the spirit of God. And when they are, then it's up to us to allow them to make a difference, to let them be written on our hearts. You know, it's an awesome responsibility to preach. I've heard it described as a pathway for God's power. It's a humbling thought. I remember the story I was told once of a preacher who, as people were leaving, they thanked him for a good sermon. He's a little bit embarrassed, but he thanked them for their kind words and added, but it was really God speaking through me, to which he got the quick response, come on, preacher, it wasn't that good. (laughs) But God's gracious. You know, he often takes the ramblings and the thoughts of a preacher, and I can say that because I'm here today, and he uses them and he empowers them by his spirit to make them living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. The word and the spirit work together. 
Psalm 119. The word brings light and the spirit brings direction. The truth of the word doesn't change, but the spirit makes it specific, makes it personal for the individual and for the church. As I was thinking in my preparation, I thought of the persecuted church and how difficult it is for them. It's not easy for them to speak out, to show love and caring as Christians in their community. But I'm confident that the Spirit shows them how to be church in their constrained situations. And I pray that we, with our freedoms, don't miss the Spirit's leading of how we should be church in our community. Without the Spirit, the Word is simply information that you choose what to do with. But with the Spirit, it can be transforming power, changing lives and changing attitudes. And then as the gathered church, we spend time in worship, usually sung worship, but also in other ways. In John 4, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. These verses, of course, are from the account of a Samaritan woman by the well when she was asking Jesus about the right place and the right way to worship. And Jesus' reply was basically, it doesn't really matter, whenever, wherever. What matters is the attitude to worship. The Spirit will guide. The Spirit will be in our worship when we have a heart to worship God. Our attitude to worship will be led by our gratitude to God. And the Spirit wants to help us to worship. Help us personally and corporately. I know we're all familiar with the song by Matt Redman, The Heart of Worship, with the words, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. The attitude of the heart, anyone can sing, but when we sing out of gratitude and with a right heart, we enter into worship. Because we were made for a relationship with God. We were made to worship God. And there's a sense in which as we worship, then we further experience God's love, his heart for us. We give him worship, and yet we also somehow receive Now, I have to ask for Andy Scott Evans' forgiveness if I get this slightly wrong, and I'm sure he'll correct if it it isn't right, but a few weeks ago he shared about a girl in his school who had to wear a heart monitor for a month. When she went back for the results, her consultant asked her what she did between 10.30 and 11 in the morning each weekday because that was when her heart was at its best. She told them it was when they came together for worship at school. I've often been moved by worship songs and when I carefully consider the words that I'm singing, yet the same song may not have had the same impact on you. That's how the spirit moves, because we're all individuals. He may take one song really relevant one week 
another song another week. As we lift our voices to Almighty God, our hearts need to be engaged in that worship. And worship in the gathered church can involve more than just our voices. As well as our emotions, it can include our bodies. Perhaps raising hands, dancing, and of course instruments, and there are other expressions too. Each of us would engage in a different way. And when we're encouraged to take part in one way or another... Some of us are going to feel more comfortable than others. That's okay. We're not all made the same. We don't all engage in the same way. If I'm honest, that's probably the area that I find most difficult. Yet there are many references in the Bible about being expressive in worship. Just a few. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 34, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. In Lamentations 2, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. That's a verse that talks both about emotions and expressions. 2 Samuel 6, King David danced before the Lord with all his might. And there are many more references that are in the Bible about being expressive in worship, but I'm sure you get the picture. Even the king danced for joy. He didn't hold back. As I said, I don't find expression particularly easy. It's a challenge to me. Perhaps you feel that you should hold back in case others think you're strange. But I would say don't. Feel free to express to God your worship. It might even encourage others. Clapping and dancing perhaps are quite easily understood as expressions of joy. But what about lifting hands? Pentecostals in the past have been singled out for raising hands, so much so that I've heard it jokingly said that at the end of a service in a Pentecostal church, they always have to say hands down for coffee. But <laughs> yeah, what, what's lifting hands all about? What does is, what is it express? Well, there's a number of reasons. There's a number of thoughts. It shows surrender, submission, humility or dependence on God, to give God reverence or adoration, to give our all to God, to be filled by God, or simply to raise our hands toward heaven. I'm only going to touch on a couple of those this morning, just to think on. What's the universal act for a person to surrender? To put both your hands in the air and to have them empty. And then there's the picture of a child lifting both of their arms above their head for their mum or dad to carry them. Something else to think on. I can't find a verse in the Bible that tells us to stand to attention with our hands at our sides. Although neither can I find one that says you shouldn't. There'd be praising and singing in heaven. I just wonder how fixed the spot would be then. God is first and foremost looking at the heart of the worshipper. Expression can help and can also distract. We need to be considerate of each other and our various preferences, but also allow the freedom and encourage one another to lift our worship. Our motive should be to praise and worship God, not draw attention to ourselves. I'll come back to that chorus of Matt Redman. It's all about you, Jesus, all about the heart of worship.
And then there's communion. It's much more contemplative, quiet, reflective. An act of remembrance, giving thanks for Jesus' death and resurrection. We remember his love for us, his sacrifice, his gift of life, and we respond in our hearts. It's a time of reflection and giving thanks in a worshipful place together with others as a family of God. Perhaps renewing our commitment. And what greater worship is there than to give of ourselves? I think it was Katie reminded us a week or two ago of those lines in the Christmas carol in the bleak midwinter. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what I can, I give him. Give him my heart. And so finally, the the spirit in our relationships, or our fellowship, or unity. I read from Colossians 3 at the beginning, and there's a very similar passage in Ephesians 4. Of course, both were written by Paul. It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our relationships with one another are our witness, for good or bad. They're what people see. If we simply come and go on a a Sunday, hardly interacting with one another, what will people see? It limits our sharing of love and concern rather than sharing to the depth that Jesus showed us. And we need to make sure that we look out for those who are newer to the church. If we need to catch up with someone about something, let's do that in the week and try to keep Sunday for building relationships and looking out for other members of our church family. And we also need to be careful that we don't stand aloof or come over as being judgmental, even unintentionally. Have a look in the Gospels again at who Jesus spent most of his time with. I just ask, how would you react if you were aware of an ex-offender joining with us? Or a homeless person? Or someone who has a very different view of the Bible? How accepting are we? I remember years ago, when I was at college, that was a long time ago, It was a college next door to a police station and I was asked to join for an identity parade. I assumed I was similar to the person that was... Anyway. (laughs) About eight of us lined up and then the suspect was brought in. He chose to stand between me and the person next to me. As the police officer stood back and he looked at the line-up, he told me to shuffle up closer. I'd inadvertently stepped a little bit further away leaving him to stand on his own. Let's remember that Jesus loved all. The person next to you, in front of you, behind you, (coughs) next door, across the road, beside you at work, in front of your till in the supermarket, and even the terrible driver just in front who just cut you up. Just to say, though, I think generally we do look out for one another. 
but just like that old school report card, I'm sure we could do better. Indeed, we could challenge ourselves to go further through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and in his strength. We should let the Spirit strengthen and guide our relationships in church. 1 Peter, it says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers and sisters, be compassionate and humble. There are five key things in this verse about living in good relationships as a church. It says live in harmony, seeking to pursue the same goals and supporting each other. Live in sympathy, making sure that we're responsive to the needs of others. Live in love, seeing and treating each other as brothers and sisters loved by God. Live with compassion, being sensitive and caring and just looking for the best in others. And live humbly, being willing to encourage one another and to rejoice in each other's successes. It does take effort to live in unity, sometimes more than others. But the Spirit will bring unity if we let him. We need to be ready to forgive, to think the best in people, not to judge. We all have bad days. We get things wrong at times. I might have said something that offended you this morning, and I'm sorry if I have. We need to think the best. What is the heart of the person? That doesn't mean you can't challenge me afterwards. Of course you can, or anybody else if you feel you need to. But approach looking for reconciliation and understanding. And remember that God's always looking to forgive and to bring people back into relationship. He doesn't turn his back on us and walk away. He loves us too much. And he's given us the challenge to be the same. Just remember that even when God's not on our mind, we're always on his. Naturally, we probably wouldn't all be together. But we're supernaturally joined together by the Spirit of God to be his church and to be a model for the world to see. As it says in Acts 2 of the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A healthy church attracts people to Jesus. The Spirit opens up the riches of God for the believer and for his church. This isn't our church, it's simply the family that we identify with. It's God's church, and he's given us his Spirit to help us to be all that he intended us to be as we open the word, as we bring our worship, and as we live together as his people, serving him and making him known to those we know and meet. I'm going to finish by going back to the beginning, to creation. It says in Genesis 2, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. The Hebrew word used for breath is ruach, which is the base of the word for spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who brings life into the church 
through the word, in our worship, and through our relationships. We're not called to do what we can, but to offer what we have. And let the Holy Spirit elevate what we offer to bring life, renewal, and growth. May God's Spirit live in us that others might see and come to know the truth of the good news.